The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and you know what? My little girls, six and nine, because I'm slowly ruining them for larger existence, walk around singing this. Phone rings, door chimes, in comes company. No strings, good times, room hums, company. Late nights, quick bites, party games, deep talks, long walks, telephone calls. Thoughts shared, souls bared, private names, all those photos up on the walls. Now they sing other things, Katy Perry, etc. There's this song they sing about something happening in the middle, but I am steeping them in this music that I torture all of you with, and that is, of course, the musical company by Stephen Sondheim. It's the show that pretty much put him on the map, and that is the title song. And they like this song. I don't know how much of it they understand, but I was thinking the last time I heard them walking around singing company, that company means people coming over and, you know, having hors d'oeuvres, and then it also refers to some organization. How did that happen? That is an interesting story, and it's one that should be shared with you. And so, you know what? I am going to do this whole episode on this word company, because actually there is that much in it. And of course, it goes to certain other words as well. But let's do company. At first, I thought it would be only one part of a show, but then I realized, you know what? Company is such an odd word that it's a whole episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, what is this word that refers to, on the one hand, like, Toys R Us closing, it's a company, and then also somebody coming over with a bottle of red wine? How does that happen to what starts out as something meaning one thing? Well, let's go back to the very beginning. No, I'm not going to play a song you might be thinking. Let's go back to the very beginning, because what happens with the word company actually demonstrates many processes of what is known as language change or to get pointy-headed, diachronic linguistics, some of the basic tenets. So what are we talking about? Well, first of all, we're talking about something called calking. What do I mean by calking? I mean that sometimes a word is based on a word in a different language. So, for example, company. Company goes back to Latin, technically. So, companio. And what that means is with bread. So think about pain in French or pan in Spanish. Well, with bread. So the idea is that company, spending time with someone, your companion is somebody who you have bread with. I don't know who that's supposed to be. But anyway, your bread with person, kind of your, your bread man. Now, you could imagine that the ancient Romans came up with that by themselves, but actually they didn't. That first pops up 
in a document, a legal document, that's translating concepts that originated with the Goths. And the Goths were people who spoke Germanic languages related to what became English, what became modern German, etc. And there would have been an early Germanic word that meant with bread, that meant companion or company in this way. It would have been roughly ga-leip, ga-leip. So ga would have been with, and leib was like loaf. Leib, loaf, 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 loaf. That word became loaf. Leib was bread. Now, if you're Russian, then you understand, because chyep, that's the word for bread now, well, it used to be that Germanic had something that, you know, made Indo-European sense. And so, Leib, that was what it was. So, with bread. So, that means that, for example, in Old English, you could have said something like, my loafman. So, it starts in Germanic with various words that ended up meaning something like companion, although they started as your bread with person. And the idea was, well, okay, in Latin, we need a word like that, except we're not going to say gahleip, we're going to say com with, and then panio, and so bread, and so our with bread. That's called calking, and that happens a lot. Languages like to model themselves on one another, especially when something's kind of cool, like this loafman business. And so we have skyscrapers. We don't think about that word much, but that's cute. You've got a building that's tall enough that you think, why? It's like it's scraping the sky, says this 19th century man who is new to having his own personal watch and has no penicillin. It's like it's scraping the sky. Okay. Well, people liked that back then, and that's why in Germany, the skyscraper is called a Wolkenkratzer. And so a cloud scraper, you notice how in Germany, you know, the buildings, they never seem quite as tall as the ones in the United States. But when they are, it's a Wolkenkratzer, like that. Or even in China, they have their word, Motienlo, and that is scrape sky building. And, you know, once I said something to a Chinese person, I said, I like how your your word, Motienlo, is like our skyscraper. And she said, oh, no, 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 that's just an accident. That's not what those words mean. But, you know, what? I looked at, yes, it is what, what they mean. And so that is taken from our skyscraper. So that's typical calking. Or another example, something that otherwise is this weird mystery, cases in linguistics. So case, nominative case, genitive case. Dative case, accusative case, locative case. What what case? A case is like a suitcase or something. How is that a case? Well, you know where that comes from, actually? It's more calcing. We get it from Latin where it's a casus. But why is it a casus? Well, it's because it's the Greeks. It's them Greeks. <laughs> They're always passing stuff down to us without knowing it. The Greeks had this idea. It was a metaphorical idea that in a language with these cases, as in you have the nominative, that's just the basic. I've heard that some of you don't want me to say vanilla because vanilla is a, a legitimate flavor. Okay, so I'll just say the, the basic vanilla. And so you have that, but then genitive case, you say of the book. Dative case to the book. Accusative case, when the book is an object. And so kick the book across the room. And then instrumental case. And so I killed the cockroach with a book. I did that yesterday with a pair of pliers. So I killed the cockroach with a book. Instrumental case. Okay. To the Greeks, for some reason, they thought of that as falling. They thought that the real thing was the nominative, and then that something declines into these derivations of what's the real thing. It declines. And those of you who know these 
older languages know that often it's called the declination. How do you decline? What is the declension? So they thought that it fell. And so for them, the cases were fallings. They use their word ptosis. Okay. Well, the Latins had this thing with the Greeks and they're always copying them. And so they had to call it falling, cadere, to fall, and the participle casus. And so it's the falls. That's what it meant in Latin. So English just took that word with its shape and said, okay, it's the cases. And now we think, well, what does it have to do with a suitcase? But in other languages, it wasn't only Latin that took it from Greek and made it the fallings. And so in German now, those cases are falls. And a German person, I'm sure, is doing a podcast called Lexiconische Dolina or something like that. And they are wondering, well, why is it a fall? Well, it's because of that. Or in Russian, the cases are padiej, it's falling again. And that's because the Greeks thought, when you quote-unquote conjugate nouns, that you're making a good, sturdy noun fall into these quote-unquote cases. So, companion company starts as a calc on what began in Germanic as my loaf man. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Now, company teaches us another lesson about reconstruction, and that's because we only know by a hair that that word was calced on Germanic and existed in Latin at all. So, that word exists in French, you know, compagnie, etc., That word spread out. But in terms of it being in Latin, really, it's only found in the late stages of Latin and only in that one document where you have this word companio that's based on what was originally a Germanic word. If that document didn't survive, if no one knew about it, then still anybody who's working on where today's languages come from, especially today's Romance languages, would reconstruct that there was a Latin word that would have been companis, companio. You would just know because there are people who are paid, believe it or not, to trace words backwards to what the words would have been among people who are now very, very dead and can't talk to us. That is a major aspect of what historical linguistics is. There are even still some sources now that miss that there was attested a late Latin word companio. And the idea that they have is that it was just reconstructed. And that's because you would know, you would reconstruct that there was some word that meant with, com, and then panio, the bread. And that's because of this general technique. You never know how that kind of thing is going to go. You never know what words are going to trace back to. It can be a lot of fun even with Latin. And so, for example, there was um, in Latin this torture instrument. It had three prongs, tre, three, polyum, trepolium. You can hear what that was for. It's the sort of thing that you see in Game of Thrones, a three-prong thing, and it's going to reach in and grab out your bowels or something like that. So, trepolium. Okay. Suppose you made that a verb. So, three-prongium, trepolium. Suppose you trepolium somebody. 
but it's Latin. And so you can't just turn nouns into verbs the way we can say something like, you know, here's a fax machine. Now fax me something unnecessary. You have to add some endings. So trepolium. Well, if you're going to make it into a verb, how about something like trepoliare or trepoliare? Here's why we know that that is exactly what must have happened with this vicious three-pronged thing. Because trepoliare, if you change the sounds in the way that we know, sounds change becomes something like travailler, trepoliare, travailler, travailler, travailler. And that means to work in French. So, to undergo torture, you can see how metaphorically that would end up meaning to work. So, tripaliare becomes travailler. Tripaliare elsewhere becomes trabajar in Spanish. Of course, we borrow travailler from French as travail. That comes from something that was used to make people very unhappy. We don't have tripaliare in writing, but we know it must have existed because travailler and trabajar exist too. So that's the sort of thing that you would do. We would do that with compagno, even if there wasn't that one squeak of a source where we happen to catch it. And this sort of thing gets weirder. So, for example, because I'm on this Mandarin kick lately, to be in Mandarin, shu, there you go, shu, that's all it is, shu. You know what that started as? You can reconstruct. We can't hear the people speaking Proto-Sino-Tibetan, which is the Proto-Indo-European Ukraine language involved with Chinese. We don't know what they said, but we do know what they said. Their version of shi was mdai. Now, how do we know that shi goes back to mdai? Well, you can look in the documents and you can make some inferences. For example, in Old Chinese, which is available to us, it isn't shi, it's die. Now, if you think about it, yet is closer to shi than mdai. And that's because Old Chinese has die. Middle Chinese has je. Okay, so je, she, shi. You get it? And so, shi starts maybe as die in what's Chinese. Then there are other languages that are distant cousins of Chinese, but are part of the Sino-Tibetan family, such as, for example, there's one called Jingpo. It's spoken in China, Burma, and somewhere else that I forget. And that word for to be in Jingpo is ndai. Ndai isn't that different from jet dai. Jet, the same thing, just said very differently, ndai. Well, ndai is kind of like the ndai. Really, what Sino-Tibetanists, yes, they exist, are doing is taking hundreds of languages, seeing what they have in common, tracing them back, and it means that you can see in a language like Jingpo that you've got Ndai, in a language like Mandarin you've got Shu, and actually they trace back to something that's Ndai. And although Ndai seems nothing like Shu, in Old Chinese, Ndai had become Jie, with the M dropped off. So Dai, Jie, then Jie, then Shu. This is the way these sorts of things work. You know, there's even a, a saltier example of things like this. And so there is a certain four-letter word that begins with F in the English language. And, you know, in the old English documents, there is no word 
that seems to have birthed fuck. It isn't there. And therefore, people who are very good at this sort of thing have looked to Scandinavian languages and Norwegian fuga or something like that. And these various words in German, I've talked about this on a previous show where they're words that mean like to rub back and forth or to swing a whip around, all these different things, ficken, fucking, ficken. Right. But what about in Old English? Wouldn't there have just been a word fugen? You know they were doing it. Couldn't they refer to it? And would it really have been some other word? We can be pretty sure that the reason that Fugan is not attested is because there's only so much Old English attested. It's a lot, but if you're writing a formal poem about religion or about some stately matter, you're not going to put fucking into it. If you are writing about the history of what would become England, well, frankly, you know, certain things are not going to make it in. And so really, it's an accident. I highly suspect that there is no old English word, fucan, that's attested. We can reconstruct it just like we could reconstruct Compagno, even if this Gothic document, the Lex Salicus, did not exist. This is how these things go. And actually, can I give you a little more? Compagno, panio, the bread, pan, French, pan, that's Spanish. That goes back. We can reconstruct. We don't know how those Ukraine people talk, but in Proto-Indo-European, we can be quite sure that if you said pa, something like that meant to feed. And it wasn't bread specifically, it was feed. And so think of pastoral or old church Slavonic. So that's kind of the Latin of the Slavic languages, sort of. So they had a word for to feed cattle. And it would have been, if Russian has a deep voice, old church Slavonic is in the basement. So the word for feed cattle would be pasty. That's kind of this Chalyapin voice. So pasty. Or, for example, we say father, Latin says pater. We say foot, Latin has pedal extremities. So normal Indo-European language, puh. In Germanic languages, it switches to foot for reasons no one knows, although, frankly, it may have had something to do with those Phoenician travelers. Go back to a previous episode. But same thing here. Pa is to feed. Fa, fa, food. That's where we get the business of the food. But the idea is that you reconstruct. And so you've got the fooding and the fucking and the trepalium and the sure. You've got all of these things. The following podcast, I'm sorry about that. The rest of it will be clean. In any case, you know, for your pal to be your loafman, that's kind of like telling somebody that they're your meat. And if you want to know what that means, well, then we have to listen to some Lewis Jordan. Lewis Jordan is the beginning of rock and roll, late 40s. You could have experienced his music with a Broadway musical that did very well called Five Guys Named Mo. You've probably heard some of this guy's music, even if you didn't know it. Really good stuff from the late 40s, and it, it frankly, is part of what becomes the Rolling Stones. This is the black roots of things that we associate with people who are not black at all. This is a song I've always loved called You're My Meat. You can't know what You're My Meat means unless you listen to this song. Outside in and inside out, you're my meat. Ah, you're fat and faulty, but naughty, you're my meat. From your feet to your head, you knock me dead, you're my meat. I got you covered, but baby, you're my meat. In the days of old, when nights were bold, they were pious and modest, I'm told. 
Don't you see that couldn't be me? I'd have to talk about your yams and your big fat hams. It excites me so because I know you're my me. Fat and forty, but lordy, you're my me. So, company. So it's your breadman, your loafman, your meatman. How do we get to what company usually means now? Because the first thing we would think of with company is not what Sondheim was writing about. We think of, you know, Toys R Us. Where we get that is that you have this meatman business. So the idea is the person that you have your food with. Well, suppose it's people. That's an easy stretch. It's the people who you have your food with. Well, if you do, then that means that it's probably not just the food. The food is probably celebratory. You're engaged in something with them. They are your people, maybe your peeps. With words, the way that we get words to refer to everything that we do is you have your basic concepts, kind of the, the boring ones, really. But then in terms of getting to what life really is, you have metaphorical inference moving along with word after word, and especially things coming to mean something more specific than they originally did. So you're the person who I have food with, who I toast with. Well, that probably means that you don't only do that, you're involved in something, some military endeavor. So company B, you are involved in some commercial endeavor. And so you've got a company. So that's where company comes from in the sense of not being about bread or food anymore, but about just doing things together. If you're going to toast, it's probably because you're, you know, you're starting a startup or something like that. And so that makes company the kind of word that so many are. So for example, try this, the draft. We should have a draft. What? Well, what does that mean? A draft is something that comes in through the window, but we mean you're going to be drafted into the military. Now, even if we don't know the details of what that means, we know that draft started as something much more general, and we think of it as relating to the military. That's something that happened to that word. Go back 100, 125 years, and people were talking about conscription. What does that mean to us now? Frankly, nothing. That used to be the word for the draft. Now, you can think of conscription. That could have meant any number of things. Con, that's with again. Scription, writing. Writing with the person who you write with. That could be a great many things, but it happened to end up meaning that you are written into the army like a draft. Oh, goodness, I've got the consumption. I don't know why they say it like that, but it doesn't mean that you're being eaten by a beetle. It means that you've got tuberculosis, consumption. Well, we think of consumption more spontaneously now as the consuming of something. But when tuberculosis was a more urgent problem for more people in the world, well, it came to mean being consumed by that. What's a transmission? A transmission is that thing in the car that you don't understand that breaks and it costs a lot of money to fix, right? Now, we know intellectually that you can transmit some object from one place to another. Like, actually, right now, somebody transmitted to me two lovely boxes of chocolate, and I have no idea why they came in the mail, especially under a label that suggested that it was actually going to be caviar. I have no idea why they transmitted that to me. If I never find out, and if that person happens to listen to Lexicon Valley, thank you for my chocolate. My girls and I are going to enjoy it very much, but you transmitted it to me. That is not the way we use that word. The transmission is that thing that breaks. Or even like case, 
from falling. The genitive and the dative and the accusative fall from the nominative. That right there, even in Greek, was one of these narrowings. It's called semantic narrowing. Now, if I just say, I'm now going to tell you about semantic narrowing. Well, boy, you sure are excited. But what it means is words like conscription and consumption and transmission and case and company. Why company starts out meaning somebody sitting at a table, you know, eating something with somebody. And now company means Exxon. It's a funny thing. But then also there's company as one person. So this companio becomes companion as we still have. So a companion is somebody that you eat bread with. And then companion, that word becomes what we pronounce as company. So you have company. You're having people to come over to break bread with you. And if they're going to do that, then they're going to be with you. And therefore, they're keeping you company. And then we stop thinking about the bread. The old expression usually used with people of a certain age, which of course is older than me, where they are dating, but it's different because they're older for some reason. So you say that, oh, well, they're keeping company. The idea being not what they're eating, but the idea that they are giving one another social companionship. And so, That is why you have the same word for people over for dinner, Bobby come on over for dinner, and then Exxon. Why would they be the same word? Because there is company, as in come have bread with me, and then there's company, as in if you're having bread with me, we're probably also involved in creating some corporation that's going to ruin the environment and lives all over the world. And you never know how these things are going to go. So, for example, company used to be a euphemism for, if I may, I said I wouldn't do this and so I won't really do it, but for the sexual act. You know, so company, and that's no more or less improbable than Congress, sexual Congress. That's how these things go. So if we're talking about that, but not, and that's why this is such a special song, Beach Boys. No, not Sondheim. We're not going to play something from Music Man, but Beach Boys. You know what their best song is? No, not that one. Not that one either. It's Wouldn't It Be Nice. And if you listen to the lyrics of this, it's because the idea is we're not going to do that until we get married. It's the most wonderful song. And also, it is musical genius. Listen to the opening figure. If I'm not mistaken, unless they did this on a synthesizer, this is the high strings of a harp. They brought a harp into this session, and that bing, 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 that's a high harp. Then when the song kicks in, it's in a different key than that opening figure. They didn't have to do that. The original writing of the song was relatively simple. They didn't have to change the key. Listen to those vocal harmonies, and then when it goes into the bridge, so weird. What bridge would you write? for this. It could be very mundane, but instead, it sounds almost like Ravel, and under the bridge is that weird harpy opening figure again. This is a very special three minutes. I've always thought that it was just golden. Wouldn't it be nice? It's the best Beach Boys. At least I think so. I can't help it. Here it is. Yeah. 
I want you to consider signing up for Slate Plus. And what Slate Plus is, is that you get more stuff. You get a tag at the end of my show where I give you more useless linguistic information. And you don't have to listen to any ads. That's very important. So for a nominal fee, and it really is nominal, you get to have more show and no ads. And not only for my show, but for Slate's other podcasts as well. And here's what's new. You only have to pay a dollar for the first month. That's important. And at this point, it also includes that you get extra whole episodes of some Slate podcasts like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence. So all you have to do is go to slate.com slash lexicon plus and you get a really good deal. If you enjoy Lexicon Valley, I hope you do. And if you enjoy Slate's other podcasts, well, you get more of them sometimes even more episodes, and you don't have to listen to the ads. And while we're at it, Slate Plus members and listeners, it's survey time again. And that means that it's your chance to tell us what you think about not only Slate Plus, but Slate. I want you to help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes, and you know, pandemic, what else do you have to do? You can go find it at slate.com slash survey. And if you're asking whether I took it, well, you know, I don't have to because I am doing this But if I weren't doing it, I would be taking that survey at slate.com slash survey. Now, company is interesting because it's not just a one-off. It exemplifies a pattern. Linguists like patterns. Scientists like patterns. Linguists like to think they're scientists. So we want patterns. And it's about company being both a matter of groupness and oneness. That's not something that happened only to company. That can happen to a word, and in English, an example is party. Party could be a crowd in earlier English, as it is now, and so that part of the gang, and so those people. Or it could be one person. This is a rather archaic usage now, or at least it's used mostly in legal jargon, but the idea used to be that you're conveying an arch kind of respect, kind of like in oldie Europe, where you have things like referring to one person as vous in French, which is actually a plural pronoun. So you too, and it's just one person. That's the way to convey respect, and that sort of thing happens in lots of languages, or the king referring to himself as we, that sort of thing. You use plural as a kind of artful distance. Well, in the same way, party could be used to refer from a respectful distance to one person. And so, who was that party that I saw you with? And you know, one of my favorite examples of this is something that I can't retrieve because it's from an old radio show. And old radio is hard to internet search because, frankly, so few people care about it that it isn't carefully quoted and archived and obsessively discussed on Reddit or something like that. If there's something I remember somebody saying from one episode of some radio show 4,000 years ago, I'm not going to be able to find it by typing in that passage online. 
There is an episode of Amos and Andy, that now very problematic show, that I remember where, nevertheless, as problematic as it is, I hate to say that it also has its charms. And because I'm obsessive, of course, I've heard all of it. And there is a, a barber, Shorty the Barber. And Shorty had a passage in one episode. If any of you are fans of the show, I think this was in the mid-40s. I think it's early-ish in the half-hour sitcom era. So at one point, Shorty is talking about his romantic exploits. He's one of these sitcom characters who walks on and then walks off. And at one point, he says that he had a girlfriend for a while, but that it had to break up. And somebody says, well, why did it have to break up? And he says, well, 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 the, well the problem, prob-. he's one of these happy stuttering characters. That's supposed to be funny. So he says, well, 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 well the, prob- the problem was, was that her parents were always throwing parties. And then somebody asks, well, what was wrong with that? And he says, well, 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 well a, lot of the time, a lot of the time, the party they were throwing was me. So what does that mean? They were throwing parties but the party they were throwing was me. And he says, they were always throwing me out the window. And then my, 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 my girlfriend, she would always throw me back in. It became irksome. <laughs> it's a cute little passage. In any case, that's one of those things. Because back in 1945 or 6 or whenever this was, there was still that notion that party was a cute way of referring to one person. There was a very popular song of the period. It goes back to the 20s. It's called That Certain Party. And because this is probably completely opaque to many people who are not 117, listen to this 1920s recording of a once very popular song, popular into the 50s, called That Certain Party. The composer is Walter Donaldson. The lyricist is Gus Kahn. This was a huge hit in 1925. Here it goes. There she's got naughty eyes I'll say she's got naughty eyes That second, that second party You know the one I mean You're I know the one you mean That second party of mine Naughty eyes, turned up nose Rosy cheeks, pretty clothes She's no smarty So you hear that? That certain party, that makes no sense unless you know that it means that certain one person that you saw. And you know, the cute thing about party is that just for the record, party also was just a word for part because it comes from the French parti. And so in oldie, oldie English, one of the cutest things, if you're going to call it cute, I hate to condescend to it, but there are cute things about it, is that part is often party. And so in 1497, somebody talks about people who are beauteous in color of all parties of their bodies, because that's how, of course, people talked back then. Or actually in the Tyndale Bible, that this is 1526, the veil of the temple was rent in two parties. And what, what he means is two parts. So that's how these things go. So party is the same thing. Party is a part of a group, as in a bunch of people, or party can be just one person, as in that certain party, in the party of the first part, etc. So you never know how these things are going to go. Now, you know, the story of company, the word, is not over, because we also have to remember that there are things that writing can do. 
So in writing, company becomes abbreviated to CO, and then you can start saying CO, and we all know what it means. To know English is to know what co means. And so, you know, Petco, my girls now have these guinea pigs, noisy little things, especially when they're flirting. They make this noise. Did you know that guinea pigs do that? They, of course, go. So they do the squeaking, but then also. It's this flirting. Mine are both supposed to be girls. I don't know where <laughs> to put that. Maybe, you know, but there's a lot of flirting going on in there. But in any case, I feed them from Petco. We all know what Petco is. Or what is it? Um, What was Spoonco? Ren and Stimpy, the, the cartoon. And so the, the mock company, Spoonco. And as we know what that means, and co is even a little joke. It means that the company is kind of faceless, kind of shoddy, kind of like Acme in the Roadrunner cartoons, or, or Arco, Arco. Remember, Arco gas stations. I'm just old enough, just old enough, of course, to remember the energy crisis. I remember lining up for gas at the Arco gas station and the way that they would get you, the Atlantic Richfield Company, Arco, the way they'd get you is that there was this arc. It was this, this plastic arc. And you would buy the arc for a dollar and 10 cents. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Then every time you came to the, the gas station, you would get a couple of animals. You would get a pair in a little bag. And my parents did that. And you know what? I still have the arc. I still have all the little animals. And, you know, once you line up the animals, it's not the funnest toy. But I get all sentimental. I'm holding it now. I've got the Arco Arc. It's right here. Listen, that's all the animals. I'm pouring them out on the desk that's in front of me. Here they are. The animals have a smell. And I am picking up the ones that I know have that smell. I'm smelling one of the lions now. It's that plastic smell from 1972. It's a wonderful thing. It reminds me that childhood had a purpose. In any case, that's based on co. Anyway, I've got a little addendum for you. Remember the thing about wow for pain? Ruth Berman has given me an invaluable extra example. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. That text has a little baby saying wow, wow, wow in pain. So that means that, yes, it's true that 125, 150 years ago, ow could be wow. The way the verse goes is, speak roughly to your little boy and beat him when he sneezes. And during that, the baby jumps in and goes, wow, wow, wow. You know what? There was a musical of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland in 1886. And the Brits have kept it going. I don't know if they still do, but they have kept it going. It's sometimes part of that panto-pantomime tradition of theirs that seems so counterintuitive from this side of the pond. And there are many versions of this 1886 music. And this is a 1972 film version. The Duchess is a drag act. This is part of this panto thing. And you can hear a little bit of the song. The point being that the baby doesn't say ouch, 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 or ow, 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 but it's wow, wow, wow. Ruth Berman, I would never have known. I've also now learned about, this is rare for me, a musical that I had never heard of and frankly never wished to hear from again. But here it is. Speak roughly to your little boy and beat him when he sneezes. He only does it to annoy because he knows it eases. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I speak severely to my boy and beat him when he sneezes. For he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases. Here, you may nurse it for a bit if you like. I want to go and get ready to play croquet with the queen. Anyway, we certainly cannot go out on that. We'll come back to the company title song where the whole cast is doing their bit. This includes, by the way, for those of you who remember the sitcom Alice, one of the people back there is Beth Howland, who played Vera. You can kind of hear her. I enjoyed that when I got to know Sondheim later in life than you might think. It was at the end of college. Vera was in company, Beth Howland. In any case, this is everybody singing. You might also catch Elaine Stritch showing off. In You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. You know you need to try apricot jello. Yes, they sell it. For all I know, it's got plutonium in it, but it always tastes like the top of a spring morning. Mike Folo is, as always, the editor, and I am John McWhorter.